Hey guys, really excited to have Brad Thor coming on this show. I will see if he's uh, wearing his suit and everything. I'm used to seeing Brad in person. Of course, we're, we have him on virtually this show, but a lot of great people making this show happen and uh, keeping us doing what we're doing. Today's show is sponsored in part by Medieval Industries. They manufacture the only fully adjustable foregrip on the market. The 360 VFG mounts to all tactical rails and allows you to swivel and lock the grip into any position on the fly. Whether you're hunting, shooting for sport, or challenging yourself in precision tactical shooting competitions, this unique adjustable foregrip will become a natural extension of your rifle. Medieval has expanded their product line to include a quick detach tripod and most recently quick detach adjustable monopod. They've designed and engineered the necessary components to create a tactical shooting system and have integrated the QD tripod into their line of modular quick detach accessories. Medieval's newest setup, the Overwatch Commander, is an extremely stable shooting platform that's quickly and easily deployed in tight spaces. I know you're going to say something there, so uh, I'll let no, you know. No, You've been I, using I, these I regularly, right? It's, it's awesome. The system is awesome, and I'm just hearing you talk about it. And I'm, it's my oldness speaking out loud, man. I, my inner thoughts come out all the time. But the uh, no, the system's incredible. The ability to, to move and have that 360-degree uh, capability to move the system, move a foregrip, move a tripod, move the overwatch piece is is something that nobody else does. And it allows you to get better uh, better positioning. It allows for really what allows for natural body positions. That's what it does because a bipod only allows really 90 degree angles and your body can move that way. But ground itself, it doesn't work in squares unless you're in New York City and you have buildings mm. <laughs> that are working in just 90 degree elements where you've got rolling terrain, you've got divots, you've got ravines. So having the ability to move a system like that, a, a tripod or even a foreign grip if you're if you're trying to to pile off a off a piece of cover, that ability to get a natural buy position makes you a better shooter. It makes you more effective because you're comfortable. And, and it's really it's just common sense stuff that I wish I would have thought of. I don't. I yeah. Kudos to Steve over there for thinking that stuff and 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 just making it. You know, making really the only thing on the market that does that. Yeah, Steve is the man. So uh, yeah, this new lightweight compact system is capable of what many heavier, larger tripods on the market can do, and allows for widespread accessibility. Uh, because of its small footprint. The entire system weighs just under six pounds and deploys in seconds. Medieval Industries is committed to providing all gun enthusiasts with precision-engineered, high-quality weapon accessories. All products are designed and developed with first-rate materials for strength and endurance. Visit them online. It's mid-evil.com, mid-evil.com. Also, this show Brought to you by Ned. CBD has become extremely popular in the past year, making it more and more difficult to navigate and choose the right company and product. That's where Ned comes in. They produce the highest quality spectrum CBD extracted from organically grown hemp plants in Peonia, Colorado. You've heard us talk about them and some of the benefits sleep aid used to treat insomnia, anti-inflammatory, natural pain reliever. It's been used for guys to treat post-traumatic stress, depression, and I think especially now, you, we've talked about it, people are trying to get off pills and find natural ways to deal with these uh, different things in their lives, and people are having amazing results with CBD. Yeah, I, I'd like to talk about, you know, the CBD speaks for itself, but I've been taking now that immunity blend for the last two weeks, and dude, it's amazing. I love I, it, it. it. 
what what's the problem is, is now I have a lot of lot even more energy than what I did prior. So, you know, I, I, I'm not taking naps in the afternoon like I like an old man should. Uh, and that's that's not a bad thing. That's that's kudos to them. I feel better. Uh, my my recovery time when I'm working out is better. It's quicker. So, you know, and just itself, if you haven't signed up for their newsletters, those newsletters within themselves are so positive. They are. And they're just they are. They're calming. They're positive beautiful pictures. It's something that, you know, I think everybody with all the negativity and divisiveness that goes on in the world today, having something else outside of the battle line podcast that is very <laughs> positive and, and motivating something else that you can look at with, uh, with, with Ned and their newsletter. And they always offer tremendous deals along with our battle line code that you can get a discount with when you buy anything, but just the things other than the product, which speaks for itself, all the products are outstanding. I think the probably the best on the market but the other intangibles that you get going along with Ned being part of the the Ned community is incredible as well. And then their 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 customer service, I mean, they're on it. You you ask a specific question, they get back to you a specific answer. Even if it's just how many doses do I need to take for this particular item uh, on Tuesday at 9 a.m. I mean, there's somebody, <laughs> bam, right there. This is what you need to do. So yeah, get with Ned not just for the products, but for the customer service and the stuff you get along with Ned, which is a uh, yeah, you know, it's 110 percent uh, quality in, in everything they do, and it, it speaks for itself. But of course, the the products are amazing, and always, always. But come Perfect. along for everything else as well. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's well said. Couldn't say it better myself. And and I love that immunity blend as well. It's been a game changer. And that's a powerful blend of botanicals, herbs, and fungi to offer functional immune support made with the highest quality, all natural ingredients used in traditional medicine for thousands of years. And 100% of the profits are donated to EcoHealth Alliance in their fight to prevent pandemics and promote conservation, which is awesome. They're doing great stuff. And uh, that's become a, a big thing for me. And also for the guys who can't take uh, CBD, that's something you could actually try because uh, some people are in jobs where they're getting tested for yeah. THC. We've gone over that. So if you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the podcast audience. Go to helloned.com slash battleline or enter battleline at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash battleline to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. Uh, love what those guys are doing. And of course, every show is brought to you by the best ammunition company on the market. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as directly online through fortscottmunitions.com. Use exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. 
Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Although you've been limited on the amount of uh, classes that you could do, I know when you are doing them, you're shooting Fort Scott. Oh, yeah. They they still best. <laughs> yeah, it speaks for itself. Best ammo on the market. Um, it's what I use for home defense, which is where I, I think really where they they shine. Home defense ammo that if you're ever in a position that you have to defend your own keep, you you, you need something that, that will stop whatever threat or and you know, it just will kill the threat that's coming towards you if need be. You know, hope God forbid you ever be in that situation. But that's why they make it. And go to their YouTube site, guys. Check them out. They're posting things about their tumble on impact ammunition, and you can watch it for itself uh, either on on uh, on flesh, which they do a lot of hunting. Of course, all you hunters out there, great ammo, but also on just the the uh, try to get the real life dummies out there that you use to practice the the. Uh, not what are they? What help me out, Ian? What are the dead people? What are dead people? Cadavers. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, where are but we going? So, yeah, something that simulates a cadaver, so you can see what it does. Because when you do buy ammo, you want to see how it how it how it's affected by by what it's going to hit. And you know, you go out there and you practice on targets. But really, uh, when you have in home defense ammo for hunters, the ammo is specifically made to bring something down that has a heartbeat. And, and you, you can't say it any, I can't, I can't church it up any more than that. So, uh, um, you know, check them out. Best ammo on the market. Tremendous family. They're in a small, still in a small city, small city, Fort yeah. Scott, Kansas, the small town, Fort Scott, Kansas. And, and their, their integrity comes through in their product. So yeah, definitely check them out and, and check out all their YouTube videos. Just search Fort Scott munitions and it'll pop right up. Absolutely. All right. Let's get right into everything. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on Battle Line Podcast. Really big guest coming on this episode, Brad Thor. Thanks to our sponsors for allowing this one to happen. We love getting guys like Brad on the show. The first thing I should say, of course, I'll give an introduction here for those who don't know. I mean, I feel like no introduction is needed. Brad Thor, New York Times bestselling author. Latest book is Near Dark, out tomorrow. For uh, yep. people listening on Monday, it'll be out Tuesday. Already a number one Amazon best uh, seller from pre-orders, which is amazing. Book yeah. 19 in the Scott Harbath series. And the crazy thing, Brad, is I feel like whether I was working at Sirius XM or my previous job, every summer 
I see you at least once a year promoting a new book. And this is the only time because of everything going on. We're doing this virtually. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm normally on the fly. I've been like six other places. I come in and see you in New York. And so, yeah, no suit on today. Just a, just a easy breezy cover girl. Uh, Give me some pointer pointers. Cause I, my third book came out and, and it came out right when all this happened. So I had, you know, I, I, I use, I'm a speaker and, you know, I, and of course I know, you know, the, the drill with speaking and doing the book signings yeah. and all that, but maybe give me some pointers. What are you doing right now? Cause we can't do book signings. Can you, how, and are you doing virtual? I've seen some people do virtual book signings. Like how does that work? But I'd love some pointers from a pro. What do you do? Yeah. Well, so first of all, one of the most interesting books that's been recommended to me during the pandemic uh, is uh, Talib's book, Anti-Fragile. He had written Black Swan and Anti-Fragile was back from like 2012. Uh, and I will give you a, a tip, Chris. I promise I'm going to get there. Okay. No, uh, no get, we got we got an hour. We'll go ahead. Okay. Fill it up. So the, the thing that's cool about Talib's book, uh, Anti-Fragile, is that in no language do we have a word that is the opposite of fragile, right? So if you're ma mailing your mom a package and it's a piece of glass, it's a Chihuly glass sculpture, we stamp all over it fragile, right? Because we don't want it to get bumped. There is no word for what's the opposite. Shake the hell out of this box, drop it because you're going to make the product stronger, <laughs> Uh, by if you leave it alone, it stays still, it doesn't change. But if you beat the shit out of it, then it becomes stronger. So we don't have this word. So he coined anti-fragile and it's all about taking advantage. And I, I mean, listen, you're one guy I do not have to talk about adapt, overcome. I mean, it, this is the last person in the world I'm going to suggest. You know, I had a SEAL friend, uh, the, Jack Carr, that came out with yeah. a book. I'm sure you guys know Jack. Oh, yeah. and, Hey, so I on. talked to him before he was ever published and he said, you know, well, what's the secret? I said, well, it's going to be tough for you because you're a SEAL. The secret in, in publishing is just don't quit. And I go, you got you SEAL guys. It's like, the oh, the water's too cold. I'm not going in today. <laughs> and he had, a good, he had a good laugh at that. Well, they do, was, you just don't see it. They do that all the time. All your SEALs out there, you know this ranger's calling you out because I know you guys do that. I don't even try to hide it. I, I know the real seals out there with the beach balls and everything. I know. <laughs> so I teased, I teased Jack Carr because obviously that's, you know, never quit is the seal motto. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I teased him. So anyway, anti-fragile by Talib, I'm reading it now because a friend recommended it and it, it was done like 2011, 2012. So, so now to your point, Chris, which is the virtual events and all this kind of stuff. What I am constantly looking for another great book. Uh, I don't know if you ever read grit, Angela Duckworth, yep book because you know for those of you that haven't read grit angela was brought in as kind of a psychologist a, a social scientist brought up to west point to say why do we have so many how do we determine which cadets are going to wash out in the beginning at, at west point and so she came up with this whole concept of grit and what it means to stick with stuff and not give up Good and nice. she was able to id the cadets that were going to make it through and she was able to ID the cadets that were going to wash out. So back to virtual events and everything, I am looking at this whole pandemic time, this whole COVID time as an opportunity to grow my business. And as a, I'm a thriller novelist, but I still see myself as a small business person. So I'm looking for how do we take advantage of the situation? So now to the virtual events. I love going out and seeing readers. I don't work for the publisher. I work for readers. Those are my bosses. And I miss being out on the road. I'm high touch. I like to shake hands and take pictures. As I'm sure you do, Chris, people love to meet you and everything. So we're doing virtual events. So what's the upside of a virtual event? Well, 
I'm looking at at these as a chance to expand my audience because maybe uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones on a Wednesday when they're tired, they're home at six o'clock at night, they've had a long day at work, might not feel like getting in their car and driving down to the bookstore in Austin, Texas to see me in person. Wait, but now it's Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, waiting yeah. in a line of whatever. Sometimes I've spent two hours waiting in a line. I feel terrible. I but I want to talk to everybody and give everybody five minutes of time at least. And that's I I, I will I'll stay until every last hand yeah. has been. I, I I shook every last hand. I took every last photo. But people do stand in line for a long time yeah. now with the virtual stuff. They don't have to. And what I'm hoping is is that because we're doing these events virtually, that there's people that say, I've heard of this guy, Brad Thor. I've got somebody in my family loves his thrillers. I'm going to tune in and see that. So I'm hoping the ease of doing it from your home is going to bring me more potential customers. And if I can get you to watch one of my virtual events, then I hope you're now at the top of the funnel, right, that we talk about for marketing and everything. And we get you down to convert you to become a reader, to give Near Dark my new thriller a try. So that's the whole Talib, that's the whole anti-fragile thing. You know, and I'm trying to be a leader just in my own unit here at home, my family unit, right? So I'm trying to find bright spots for the yeah. kids. We do all the grocery shopping online now and they substitute stuff at the store. You might not get the breakfast yeah. cereal you're used to. So, you know, we load the car. The only thing that comes in immediately into the house, even though COVID's not being shown to be kind of a fomite issue on surfaces, but we'll bring in the perishables. Those go in. Uh, but we'll leave the rest of the groceries overnight in the car. Then we take the kids out the next day. And I've got two teenagers, two high schoolers. And we're like, okay, let's be thankful. Let's see what we got. And let's be excited about the substitutions because it's an opportunity to try something. So as, as the leader of my very small, you know, we jokingly refer to it as SEAL Team Thor at our house. Uh, we kid with the kids. And so we're looking for bright spots. And so that... That relates to, yeah, you can't be on the road, right? You can't be on the road right now doing book events. You can't be out there doing speaking events and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean the opportunities aren't out there for you. So it's just a matter of the mind's like a parachute, right? It's got to be open to work. So the opportunities are there. You just have to hunt for them. And I think a lot of people that it's probably what you see with some people in war where the bullets start flying, the bombs start dropping, and some people don't do very well in the high stretch situation. Yeah, yeah I've, I've seen that a few times. They just, they, they, they lack of better, they just Lock shut up. They, they, yeah, you, shut down. You, you, you yeah. basically, you're, you're, you're overwhelmed, the adrenaline, you go in the black, you go in that Colonel Cooper's color code and you, you shut down black and you're done. And, and, and you know, I've seen it, no, firsthand. I, I, I've seen it from our leaders firsthand. And then I've seen the guys that you didn't think that, uh, we're going to do anything, and they just focus. I, I mean, Tig is all over it, but my buddy Tig, he's all over the place a lot of times. But when when stuff starts going, he just he's right in it, and you're right. But that's that's you're just finding opportunities. You're just trying to better yourself by finding another avenue. You hit an obstacle, you hit a you hit that wall you can't go through. You hit that door you can't breach. Well, we're going to have to find another door. We're going to have to go around and find another opening. And that's exactly what you're doing. I I just I, you know I just don't know if they would be successful. I want to try one. I'm going to. Um, the books still, my book, they do well, but I know there's ways to do it. And I've, I've heard of that. So I just, I just didn't know. I didn't know if there was even worth the time to do it. And if you've already done it, 
That's one thing. I, I'd rather you do it and tell me now, Chris, I can't do it. They're, they're awful. Don't do them. Okay, gotcha. Don't waste my time. I want to do it. But if you, so I, I, I got a bunch lined up. I haven't done one. My first one is going to be Monday night before release, July 20th. Okay. And then I've got them for about eight or nine days. And I'm doing two to three a day so that people who may be working can catch me at a different time. And it's also my way where I can support different libraries and bookstores that okay. I would normally be going to in person. Like I'll do a library event in conjunction with their local independent bookstore or maybe a Barnes and Noble. So the idea here is I don't have to get on an airplane. It used to be I could do one, you know, one, maybe two in a day with an airplane ride, two different cities. So I'm trying to help people keep in business and um, we'll, we'll see if they work. But so far, the signups have been excellent uh, and uh, great people interviewing me. That's the other thing. I started doing that several years ago because I gave the same stump speech for years. You know, I had my canned speech, but I so much prefer getting interviewed by somebody because you're going to get questions you haven't been asked before. So that's kind of key by the way the cool guy i've got for a thing in michigan i've got doug stanton who did the horse soldiers book soldiers, uh, yeah. that they did 12 12 strong That's with right. Chris hemsworth so i'm really excited about that event too it's kind of cool he's yeah. a great speaker too great speaker doug is yeah. fantastic yep i think with just the way that it's going right now with podcasts and all that it is true you're hearing all these different interviews you're going to hear brad on other shows and it's going to be different every time it's not going to be the same mm -hmm. thing and that I dig that, man. And uh, yeah, I, you know what I, I noticed too with you is I think you've been so focused on on new ways of getting this book out there. Like I saw the trailer that you did for the book that looks awesome. Yep. And Thank I you. could tell you're just a guy who's focused on, hey, there's a new Scott Harvath novel out here. I want people to hear about it. And this has been a theme we've kind of talked about in recent podcasts I think you could admit this because I think it's happened to the three of us. There was a time you got sucked into like Twitter drama. I, oh, I have to debate oh. this guy. Oh, and yeah. I feel like oh, yeah. you, much like myself, much like Chris, have kind of withdrawn from that. And you're more focused oh, yeah. on, I want to get this book it's, out here and not worry about all that. It, you know what, Ian? It's really funny because no matter what you say on Twitter, people <laughs> would respond to me that didn't like what I'd say. Oh, we must have a book to sell. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm Listen, my dad's a Marine. Okay. And we were taught not only, uh, I was about to say we were taught discipline and I can be incredibly no, undisciplined on bit. Twitter. Just a tad, just probably got a little bit of discipline from your dad. <laughs> yeah, little, little, little bit. Um, but you know, we were taught that we don't own this country, that we're stewards of this Republic. And it is incumbent upon us to hand a freer, more secure, more prosperous nation onto the next generation that was given to us. So when I see malfeasance, when I see poor leadership, it pisses me off because I'm a steward of this Republic. I don't work for the chuckleheads in DC. They work for me. And so when you're screwing it up, listen, there's a lot of stuff I agree with, but I don't think I should be ripped down and dragged when I disagree with something. Because I normally disagree on a very solid principle. It's not small-minded stuff. Uh, it's, so, but uh, somebody, right when I started dialing back my Twitter, I was like, I'm going to dial it back. I'm going to dial it back. Because I'm, I always tell Hollywood people, shut up and sing. Well, what am I? You know what I mean? I'm, it's totally hypocritical. hypocritical. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm an author. I'm in the entertainment business. So the Hollywood people should shut up, but I should be able to vent my spleen on Twitter. I saw the best tweet and it was the day I was like, okay, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. And it was Twitter is like giving the dumbest person, you know, a bullhorn. And I was like, that's it. 
That is Twitter in one tweet. <laughs> Yo, and I was telling Tonto before, I think the one thing you have been great at, whether you're talking politics or not, but are marketing your stuff, is I think you are a brilliant marketer. And Chris said he never heard this story, so I'm sure a lot of people in the audience haven't heard it, although many have. What well, we got to hear. I got to hear it. Just because I don't care if the rest of the people have heard it. I haven't heard it. It's my show with Ian, so I want to hear it. I so know. I'll let you tell it, but basically, I think it was two books ago, what you did with Chris Christie was brilliant. I, did, I have oh. no idea this story. I got to know. I got to know what happened. This guy. All right. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was three books ago, looking over my shoulder. Yeah, so use of force. So it was what three years ago, New Jersey was having all of their budget shortfall issues and Chris Christie shut all the beaches in New Jersey. But part of the deal for the governor of New Jersey is that job. You not only get the governor's mansion, but there's a beach house that comes with it. Okay. So there's this beach house. So it's 4th of July. All of the beaches are closed in Jersey, except Christie goes to the governor's beach house, takes out a bunch of lawn chairs and he's got his family and friends, I guess. And they're all sitting on the beach. Well, there's some plane that flies overhead or a copter and they get pictures of Christie on the beach. So I'm sitting here talking with my my IT guy, my web designer, and we're laughing, looking at Christie. And he goes, you know, the one thing uh, Governor Christie's beach outing is missing. And I said, a good book. Right. And he goes, yeah. So he photoshops my current book that had just been released into Chris Christie's hands, right? And if you zoom in on the tweet where I put the picture out, you can see it's almost like a woman's hands. They, they don't fit Chris Christie. But I then take the picture of Christie with my book and I tweet out, I think I'm the only person in America not angry with Governor Christie. And every media outlet ran with it, okay? Not only did they run with it, but there was some asshole journalist in Boston at the like the Boston Globe that started bitching about Christie and then started knocking my book, saying, and he's reading trash on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't even read my book and he's knocking the book. But it got on TV, it got everywhere. And like only two news outlets reached out to me to say, Is this picture for real? Only two outlet and i said no it's not we photoshopped it but it was the photoshop that went around the world why does that not surprise me what were we talking about ian fifth principle of patrolling common sense people do not use that fifth principle of patrolling ever in society anymore common sense is gone and due diligence is gone (laughs) the one the line that i love that's kind of the layman's term for that chris is too good to check too good to check. That's too right. good to check. Too good to check. I'm sure your Marine dad never was too good to check things and probably didn't teach you that either. And if he did, I'm sure you're at least doing push-ups or a duck walk up and down the driveway for two or three hours. Amen. He, my dad's got the best sense of humor. He is the greatest guy in the world. My brother and I jokingly refer to him as the great Santini uh, from the movie. And that's not him. But, you know, he would we'd get the quarter and could he bounce it off our bedclothes? You know, how tight did we make the bed and stuff? <laughs> jokingly, like take his finger and go over the door frame looking for dust and, you know, threaten to dump out our drawers and stuff in our in our in our bedroom. Uh, that my brother and I shared. Listen, it was a great, great way to grow up. He was so proud of his service in the Marines. It got him the GI Bill, got him out of the south side of Chicago. Um, And there are things about being a Marine, that physical fitness for life and all of that kind of stuff that he passed on to us. And he's just it's I wouldn't have I wouldn't wanted to grow up in any other household than to have a Marine Corps father. My mom was a flight attendant for TWA in the glamour days in the 60s. 
And she was an entrepreneur. My dad went on to go into construction and building office buildings and hotels. The Marine Corps was an incredible launching pad for him. And what's really funny, I didn't know this, I reconnected with a friend uh, from grade school. He was in my brother's class. I was two years older. And uh, he's still in the service. Uh, and he, he said my dad was the one that got him to become a Marine. And he, he spent his, he's spent his entire career in the Marine Corps and he's been very, very good. He was one of the, one of the, I think the Marines have like a hundred interrogators period. Uh, so he did a lot of, a lot of stuff in Iraq, a lot of stuff in Afghanistan, super smart guy. And when he told me that, when he said, you know, your dad is the reason the man that the Marines made out of your father is why I wanted to join the Marine Corps. So when I write my thrillers, that deal with the special operations community, deal with the intel community. And I get letters from young men and women that say, you know what? I've decided I want to go into law enforcement or to the military or to the IC. And it's because of what, I, what I've read in your thrillers. It's amazing to me. That is an incredible compliment that because of the, you know, I want you to take my book to the beach, to the lake, you know, but you hear from young people that say, wow, I just love these. And I love what these men and women stand for. And I want to be part of that brotherhood, part of that, that family. It's, it's an incredible feeling as an author. That's a, I, I, yeah, your, your father and growing up like that. I hope my son, he's 15. He went through, he went through pretty tough because I was deployed. So he was about 10 going back and mm. forth. And I know it was hard on him. I hope he has those good things to say about me when he's, when he's older Then, gosh, my dad, he's such an ass. He's just so mean to me all the time. But, well, the graph goes like this. You get dumber and dumber and dumber as they get older. And then suddenly they get older and you get smarter and smarter and smarter and they want your advice. And yeah, it, it turns around. I Listen, it's in the DNA. And this is one of the things that I keep saying at home. It's a teenager's job to be sullen and resentful. And if it wasn't in the DNA, they'd never leave the house, right? You think about it, kids used to get married, you know, 13 years old, hundreds of years ago. And so this is, this is unnatural that we hang on to them for as long as we do, right? All the way through and try to get them through college. It's the, you used to have them apprenticed by now, by 15, they, you know, he'd be joining the, the local, uh, uh, what is it? Blacksmith's guild or the shoemaker, the cobbler's guild or whatever, you know, in the village. So it's unusual for us to hang on to them. And it's also a gift. And by the way, that's another bright spot that I'm looking at. I got a 15 year old and a 17 year old in COVID, I am hugging on them every day. I'm trying to impart wisdom. I'm trying to be a good leader, like I said, in my family and share with them how to get through adversity. And my big thing is all you're asking, being asked to do is sit on the couch and watch Netflix. <laughs> Nobody's telling you to pick up a rifle and go storm the beaches in Normandy, okay? We can do this. It's not that tough. That's awesome. Yeah, and, I, and that is a blessing. And yeah, and, and I was going to say for you, you know, beyond just what your father has done, you are a guy who has dealt with adversity in your life, I know, and, and you are someone who... If you have a dream, you go for it, because I've heard you talk about before how you were doing another line of work, but you always had the dream to be an author and, and your wife supported yep. you in that dream. A lot of people would say, eh, this this is never going to happen for me. And you, you know, no one knew at that time you were going to be a New York Times bestselling author on uh, now your 19th book in this series. But you had the foresight of, all right, I'm going to give up what I'm doing. I'm going to give up my paycheck and go for what I really want out of life. That was my, listen, I got to credit my wife because when I graduated college, uh, going to break news here. I did something that no American has ever done. 
I went to Paris to write a novel. Had never been done. I don't know if you know this. Had never been done before. Uh, Nobody's I, ever gone to Paris. No, uh, you're not. Never been. I was the first. The first. Incredibly brilliant. Nobody'd ever done it. You know, there's some Hemingway, Fitzgerald. It's all BS. They oh, never went. Are those guys authors? Uh, I, I yeah, know. it's, it's like the moon landing. Never happened. Never happened. Never happened. That was cheese. That was a big ball of cheese. It was Swiss. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's Bugs a Bunny was there. He was there. I saw Bugs. I saw it on TV. Bugs Bunny yep. was there. Once. So yep. There was one person there. I know there was. <laughs> so I, I decided to go to Paris, write a novel. I got three chapters into it right after college. I had worked. That had been a big thing with the great Santini. You know, I worked while I was in college. I rented uh, apartments in L.A. and I got me a reduced rent and got me a little bit of a paycheck in the apartment building. And uh, so saved money, went to Europe. A friend had an extra room in their apartment. And I got three chapters into writing my novel. This is what I wanted to do since I was a kid. And then I chickened out. I had that little voice in the back of my head that I think a lot of us do, which says, you know what? You may fail at this. You shouldn't even risk the embarrassment. Why would you take this time and, and write a book that may not get sold, may suck? People are going to laugh at you. Wouldn't it be easier just not to risk anything back up off that limb before it cracks and falls underneath you? And I did. And I chickened out and I shipped the laptop back home and I used my money to travel. And uh, I came up with an idea for a TV show. I thought that travel made me a better American. Seeing my country from outside made me appreciate how incredibly lucky I was to be born in the greatest nation in the history of the world. And I said, I want to do a TV show to encourage young people travel internationally now. Don't wait until you're retired. Do it now because I thought I'd make better Americans out of anybody who took at least just one trip overseas. Got it on public television, did really well, did a couple seasons of it. And on my honeymoon, as Ian was relating, that's when my wife asked me, what would you regret on your deathbed never having done? And I said, writing a novel and getting it published. And she said, okay, when we get home, you're going to start spending two hours protected time every day making that dream come true. So my man card's on the table. I can't make her think, you know, she married a coward. I can't say I'm scared of failing. I did it. I did it and it made all the difference. You know, it's that that whole the road diverged in the wood and I took the road less traveled by. And I finished that first book, The Lions of Lucerne. And I said, I will not get to my deathbed wondering what would my life have been like if I had just written a book. Yeah. And so it, it made all the difference. But I think that which we're most destined to do in life, we're often most afraid of. And I think that fear is actually a signpost pointing you in the right direction. I think the greater the fear, I think the greater the reward is going to be. Because even if I didn't sell that book, I did it. Did that it. to me was more of an accomplishment than getting it published, was actually writing the damn thing. So that's great. I, that's it's just positive, positive thoughts that people need to hear, especially right now. Get your foot up. Get it out that door. Do something different. And Ian can talk about what has happened to him since this. He's actually doing better now and can talk to people about it. But, but yeah, you know how well you've been doing uh, and how opportunities have opened just because you haven't quit. You've continued to grind on four. You just got to grind. Even if it's an inch every day or three feet every day or a mile every day, you just got to move and get up and keep going. And 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 you did that. And that's a perfect example. And and now you're, yeah, not, it was just say 19 books. And so, yeah, you, you kind of kept that going. That momentum is kind of kind of continue to, 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 to go and here you are. I, it's yeah, and I got to, I got to, I got to do a shameless plug slash clarification. Yep. So right. people, people hear 19, 19 books. I tell people that these books are like the James Bond movies. It doesn't matter if you've never seen a James Bond movie, you can come to the latest one. So, you know, I'm here talking about the new book, 
But it doesn't matter if you've read a Brad Thor book before or not. You can jump right in with Near Dark. I'm super proud of it. Um, and you can start right there. And if, if I'm lucky enough to grab you with this one, hopefully you'll go back and, and pick up some of the other ones and stuff. But, uh, you know, part of the reason why I dumped that first book years ago that I was writing, I got three chapters into just out of college. I also, so yeah, I chickened out. But I rationalized it to myself saying, this is the most solitary profession in the world. No wonder so many writers end up becoming drunks and, and you know, do stupid things. But that wasn't true. I actually could not do what I do without the cooperation and support of, you know, you and I off offline could probably talk. We probably know a lot of the same people, Chris. In fact, I've got a good friend who is, uh, is one of Guy's uh, good buddies and everything. So um, – Without their help, without these people that have been there, done that, and have the shell casings to prove it, I couldn't do what I do. So it's not solitary. It is, it's tough when I got to put pen to paper, but I'm on the phone or emailing or texting people three, four, five, six, seven times a day at minimum because I got to get the details right. Well, you do. You do. And that's if, – if someone like you says you get the details right, then all the sweat that goes in behind the scenes that nobody sees is worth it because I want guys like you to say, yeah, you nailed it. Uh, just like hearing from those young men and women saying, you know, I'm going to go enlist because of the way you've described this world. I like hearing from operators that say, yeah, I'm, that's the kind of gear or those are the tactics yeah. or you, what. That's the same shit we had to deal with. It was so effed up that that happened kind of a thing. So if I can get that right. I can hold your attention, right? Because if I put a safety on a Glock, you may put the book down and I would oh, deserve sure. that. No, there's no may. It's going down. It's like, okay, this is what I'll, I'd rather go read a graphic novel. I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah. If you can't be bothered enough to at least know, you know, and, and I try to, I try to fire every weapon unless it's bolted to an airframe. I probably played around with it. You know, there's certain stuff that I, even I can't get access to, but, uh, <laughs> I want it to be. I want it to be real. Plus, those are great tax write-offs. The guys at my gun store, like, all right, here, Thor. Look at all this expensive stuff. What do you want to put in the new book? That going on the corporate card? Yeah, that, that's perfect. Yeah, we we talked about that with uh, who's our Ian? Help me out. Who's our last? Derek. Oh, Derek, Derek Gannon. With, yeah, with, with my buddy Derek, we talked exactly about that part, and we we specifically we talked about the movie Thirteen Hours. And I'm not plugging the movie; it's been plugged enough. But I own it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and Michael did a great job, and I feel like you can talk. So call him Michael, even though nobody else calls him probably Michael Bay. I, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll name drop him. He's crazy. The dude is nuts, but he's awesome. He's a workaholic, incredible guy. But there is a scene where we, you know we are on set, but we weren't on set every day, and we're not in the editing room making sure. So it was great. I get the RPGs. I get the explosions. They've got to be miraculous like that because if people really saw what it, you would never know, all you would see was flashes of light. Because that's how war is. It's just, whoa, it's just a stimulation of just blast going everywhere. It's not the the jet vapor trails and all that other stuff. But there is a part in the movie where 10th Group, JSOC, the guys in that was true, moved to a Chinook to get prepositioned to, to Signella. And there is one guy, you see all these great carbine rifles. They got the little shorties. It looks good. They're all in the great gear. Got the right nods on. One guy's got a longbow. He's got an M16. And like, oh, my God what SIF team is going to have an M16 from the NOM era, M16A1? And I'm like, gosh, and just that one thing. Now, the rest of the movie is great, and most people don't catch it unless you're 
like Derek caught it. Derek's a former fifth group guy. He caught it. Guys like that are going to catch. Granted, they look the other way. And honestly, I tell people it's an SR25. They have the same butt stock. So I try to blow it off like, you know, no, yeah. it was an SR25. No, it wasn't. But you're right. Those little things, operators or guys that have served in tactical units catch it. And it can just, it can shut the whole thing down. One little thing and it can get a bad review and it can just shut it. It, it just, it can affect well, it can affect the bottom line specifically, but it can also affect your credibility. And by you being able to do this for so long, obviously you're taking meticulous attention to detail, which is so important that people miss. You do that. And that attention to detail has allowed you to continue on with the character and continue on with with the books that you've been writing. Like I said, 19. I get it. That's still a lot of books. I don't want to do anymore. I've done three with help and I'm not. No, I'm, no, I'm good. That's it. Um, question that you know reading and and looking at it is how did you get into the espionage and the cia how did you go into that route when your dad was a marine and, and help me because yeah. my ignorance your background and all that but what led you was it just cooler to write those kind of stories was it something that you were interested in you grew up on the dope you talked about james bond is that something that led you down that road yeah so stephen king has got a great piece of advice for young writers which is write what you love to read so i grew up grabbing my parents books when they were done with them. And so both my dad and my mom loved this genre. So they would read Clancy and Freddie Forsythe and Le Carre and all that kind of stuff. So I grew up grabbing the books when they would put them down. And I love these books. Um, and what ends up happening is if you read in a genre for a while, you develop a mini PhD. You understand why you like certain books, didn't like other books, uh, chapter lengths you like and all that kind of stuff. So you really do develop a background. So I love this stuff. And I was so enamored with this world. Um, when I leased apartments, when I rented apartments in LA, I had a neighbor that had been part of a really cool unit that the army had in the eighties. So this is back before Delta had their current compound. They used to call it the Fiesta Cantina, the old, uh, cause of the buildings there, wow. the way they looked and stuff. Yeah. And the army was really smart. This is during the, the height of the Cold War. They combed through the Ranger battalions looking for guys who spoke German growing up at home, whose parents were native German speakers and they were taught German. And so this was kind of an intel unit that they, they grabbed these guys out of the Ranger bats. They put them in Berlin and they basically were this guerrilla force in case the Soviets ever overran the wall, their job. And they had like weapons caches hidden in parks and radio sets plastered up behind the walls and basements of beer stoops. Oh, yeah. They dressed in German clothes. They knew all their trade craft and how to do dread, dead drops and all this kind of stuff. And their job was to slow the Soviets down if they ever came out. And it's really, so I'm, you're nodding and everything, Chris. No, I, I, I just, I remember, because I, I remember the story. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go in a Ranger battalion was all those cools. It, it, no, that's why I'm not, I know my, because I'm just remembering me wanting to go into Ranger Town and what drew me there. It's, it's bringing back some memories of me being a young guy before even going in and, and what my driving force was to go to Ranger Battalion and not go to the SEALs or anything else. So I know when I'm not, I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's, I'm going back in time. So I want you to keep talking. I, I'm, just, I'm just so, feeling so good right now. Remember so these guys, they're super, super badass guys that they pulled out of the Ranger Bats and they trained them up and they gave them. So it's interesting because they had a job in addition to just being a guerrilla force. They said, OK, we're not going to pay you to just sit around and wait for the Soviets to come out. We got to have you doing something that's of value to the U.S. government and stuff. You know, we dropped you in. You got to do some more than this. 
So what was funny is, and I don't know who came up with this idea, but every time you get a new ambassador, uh, the ambassador wants to change something at the residence, right? The, you've got to blow this closet out, want it bigger for my wife or for me, I'm a close horse, whatever it is. So these guys would go to different embassies overseas and would update the blueprints. So heaven forbid, heaven forbid there's ever a situation where these guys have to have to come in. They need to know, okay, that window that's on the old blueprints that we think we could go through is no longer there. That's yeah. been bricked up. So it, it's, so one of these guys, brilliant guy, had, had come out of this program with the Army and super handsome. The guy, tall and just this rugged jaw with like this big dent. You could have like served soup out of the dent <laughs> in this guy's uh, chin. Um, really great guy. And he had gone to work for Guns and Ammo, selling ads in Guns and Ammo magazine. And he was my neighbor. And so we got to talking, we got friendly. And the night the Rodney King riots happened, uh, we all assembled, we all mustered up on the roof, all of the residents, because we had a grocery store downstairs. And we were afraid the rioters were going to come and loot the grocery store and everything they were looting, they were setting on fire. So we we stood up upstairs, you know, watches and all this kind of stuff. There was a photographer friend of mine who had a big spotlight, so we had a spot. But what was interesting was the real estate developers were two brothers known as the Kasdans. And you could get tax-free municipal bonds if you set aside a certain number of units for low-income housing. Now, these guys, uh, they were two Jewish brothers. Uh, I think they actually might have had some uh, family. I, I don't know if there was a connection to Israel or not, because I'd never met the brothers. But I do know that what they did for the low-income housing, they were able to help low-income Eastern European Jewish families get apartments in their building. And these people were actually the best on the rooftop during the riots because they were medieval. They were cooking up like pots of Wesson oil and stuff. They were going to do boiling oil. Some old guy who like his 80s showed up with a bow and arrow. I mean, somebody else had a machete. I don't know how you're going to work a machete from the sixth floor, but it was just these guys. They were fearless and they were tough. They never fell asleep. They're making coffee for everybody. So anyway, I was up on the roof with Chuck, my neighbor, and then Robert O'Brien, who's the current national security advisor for President Trump, which is really another small world. So Robert O'Brien got to be a good buddy of mine, and now he's the national security advisor. So anyway, Chuck, my buddy who had been in this great program, come out of the Ranger Battalions, was over in Berlin. Chuck became an introduction for me into the community. He introduced me to people he knew, took me to SHOT Show. Right. So I met a ton of people at Chacho. Show. I was buying pictures of beer and steak dinners and making friends. And just basically, I had a really big mouth as evidenced by God knows how many minutes I've been talking to without breathing. <laughs> Love it, man. But I'd, I'd buy steak dinners, pictures of beer for guys and then keep my mouth shut and listen to the guys tell their stories. OK, particularly at Chacho, Show, because you had every branch of the military represented at it's dinner. True. And, and, and I made, got, most guys are wanted. Yeah, they want to tell their wars. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and yeah. I got. I have to go there every year. I, I, I so I get it. I, I know. I probably know ninety percent of the guys that go there. So yeah, no, I, I get it. You just get them drunk, get them some food, and yeah, opsick be damned. Let's just keep going. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and they turn to me every once in a while. Go, Thor, don't repeat that. But the only thing, it was like I wasn't there until they realized I was, and they had said something, and it was you know opsick problem. Don't repeat that. I'm like, okay, I don't want to poison this well. I appreciate having access to this expertise. So that's kind of how it is. It's like any business. I networked my way. I built my own human network, if you will, uh, of these people. And, you know, a lot of the quiet professionals really do appreciate if you're doing a good job rendering their life, uh, you know, 
I, I don't want to bag on the Seals at all because I really respect them. No, uh, please, go ahead. I, as a Ranger, I'm okay with that. You, you go right ahead. They can come back at me. We'll, we'll so, fight with them. No, I, I, was on a, I was on a call with a couple of Army buddies the other day, and they made a joke. They made a book. They, it's like, how many Seals would it take to do this operation? And then they said, well, it takes this amount plus one to write the book. was their joke, right? Because there's so many authors out there. But they – I, there's a lot of guys whose work I've enjoyed, and Jack Carr being one of them, who's uh, done some great stuff. Uh, and the the members of the SEAL community have been incredibly generous to me. In fact, starting with one of the first people that ever helped me with my very first book was Harry Humphreys, who is a plank owner of SEAL Team 6, who works on all the Bruckheimer movies. So my very first person in the special operations community uh retired at that point obviously but harry humphreys he couldn't have been more generous with the time and the information i i couldn't have done some of the things i did with my first novel without people like my buddy chuck from the army harry humphreys from the seals was Harry's, very lucky Harry's, harry was the tack advisor on 13 hours he was the guy that was on set with he's michael bay's right hand man when he has to do tactical stuff and and harry brings on guys actually his his guys he only brings on his seals to help him but uh, Four of the guys that were on his tactical team, I worked with and downrange. Oh. So I knew, I knew, I'm like, hey guys, I, I won't. They're still working, so I won't give them their even right. their call signs. But I got on set, I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh yeah, we work with Harry's team on getting your guys ready to go. I said, oh good, so you got Pablo ready to go. Well, let me get him over here so I can fix all the shit that you guys screwed up. Okay, <laughs> I don't want him looking like a seal. But no, they were. I, I, you know, I, I give him crap too, but some of my best friends are, are you know, because we, we work together, we we love sure. each other. We, we just love ribbing each other, and we always will, always. But that comes with the territory. It's so natural, and it's so funny because I take so much crap from Marines and uh, Army guys that my main character used to be a SEAL. They're like, when are you going to kill him off? You know, you got to have him drown in two inches of water in a kiddie pool with, like, you know, empty bottles of tequila and his pants around his ankles. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Shit, on, I was let, me, let me cross that off my next question I was going <laughs> to you know, son of a <laughs> Act of Valor by Mouse McCoy, yeah. uh, where they use real seals and everything, and yeah. work with the DoD, uh, and kind of let the 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 training that was going on dictate the story that yeah. they that they put together. It's very clever. I got to meet Mouse at one point and sit down with him and talk. And I, I hold all of our armed forces in such high regard. And so Mouse had just done Act of Valor. Obviously, my character Scott Harvest is SEAL, and he said, "You know, Brad, this is—it's really important. We we have a tremendous responsibility to treat with yep. care the brand. So whether that's the SEAL brand, whether it's Delta, whether it's the the guys in the Ranger bats, whatever that is, it is an honor and a privilege for us to tell these stories, whether we're fictionalizing them or whatever. And it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we do nothing but polish that brand." Yeah. Don't detract from it at all. So, you know, we make jokes good naturedly here. And I, I know this is such a great environment to joke around, particularly now you want to give people a smile. Right. But I take that stuff so seriously uh, because I know it's having an impact back to those letters where people tell me I'm signing up for the Navy. I'm signing up for the Army. That, again, you know, I, I, I'm very glad to have the, the readership and the following that I do and everything. But boy, is that icing on the cake to know uh, you've inspired people either to sign up or there's people that want to help. So what can I do for military families? Yeah. I now understand what the families must be going through, how worried they must be about their loved one deployed downrange. What can I do? So you'd never think a fiction author, somebody that writes, you know, beach reads could have an impact like that. I certainly never thought I would, but 
it's it's part of what I feel I should be doing, particularly being the son of a United States Marine. Absolutely, you know, man. In the fiction stuff, Brad, you know, really, yeah, it's it is a book of maybe a book of fiction, but there's truths in there because you're getting the tactics right. You're getting the trade craft as right as you can without the CIA coming back and saying, no, you got to pull that out because we can't get that trade craft out there. Or, but you're getting it. Right. You, and again, it's, it's right. I'm, I'm trying to save you so the CIA doesn't come and reevaluate you. <laughs> because, well, and you, know, you it, can't, you right. know, it's right. Yeah, and, and thank you, Chris. And in fact, what's funny is that I've had a couple of agency guys say to me, wait a second. No, there'd be eight cutouts before you got to that ultimate source. And I said, nobody's going to sit through eight reading about eight meetings. I said, I'm not writing a training manual for the farm. I'm writing a beach read, a thriller. You can't flip. You know, it's not going to work, guys. I said, so this is the great thing. I'm not trying to teach people like you guys are at Camp Perry. I am actually trying to entertain people. So I want it to be as real as possible. And that's the balancing act for me as a thriller author is Elmore Leonard once said, get shorty. He's so good. He said to young writers, the best piece of advice I can give you, leave out the parts that people skip. That's yeah. a great piece of advice. And and you've so, mastered it. I mean, after awesome. nine after nineteen books in this series, you you know what you're doing. And and for the listeners out there, I'd like to get a little bit into this book because as you said, people could pick this one up even if they've never read a Brad Thor thriller before. So in this in this basically installment of the Scott Harvath series, uh he finds himself the target of an assassination uh and teams up with a female Norwegian intel officer. And this is kind of interesting because this is after the book that got into kind of the Russia stuff. And now this book mm-hmm. is a very different setting. Damn, yeah. why didn't I meet that Norwegian intel officer? Yeah. I never met yeah. Norwegian intel officers. Damn it, man. <laughs> can I be in your book just so I can live vicariously? No, can, uh, that's what I, I, I'm I, like, oh, gosh, how lucky is that SOB? All right. I, well. I, I joke that Harvath gets to do all the things my wife won't let me do. You know? <laughs> so I get to live just as I'm sure that Ian Fleming lived vicariously through James Bond and Clancy did through Jack Ryan. This is, uh, this is my outlet. Yeah, so uh, Near Dark is actually the, the, the tagline, the logline, if it was a movie, would be a, uh, a $100 million bounty has just been placed on the head of America's top spy. So you know, here's a guy that comes from the special operations community, has gone over to uh, the intelligence side, of stuff. And, uh, he's been put through the ringer. He's actually at the lowest point personally and professionally. Doesn't know if he wants to keep going. It's been, everything's caught up with him. Finally, all of the people he's lost, everything that he feels he's responsible for people that have died because of him. And he doesn't know if he wants to keep on, uh, on trucking, if he wants to keep at it, he doesn't even know if he wants to keep on living. So he's, he, he got thrown out of a hotel down in the keys because he knocked some guy out who was abusing his girlfriend. And they're like, you know what? You've just been here for two weeks drinking. This is an expensive resort. Nobody wants to sit and watch a guy drink himself to death. And you really escalated. You didn't need to lay that guy out. You did. Chapter one, he lays this guy out and they throw him out of the resort. So he finds a shitty, cheap little apartment in Key West, finds a dive bar and just starts hammering the bad burn going down bourbon. And uh, there's a contract out on him. And one of the assassins tracks him down to this bar and the fuse gets lit and everything goes uh, like a rocket from there. But the Norwegian woman that he ends up pairing up with has got a very bad, very troubled, very broken past. I've, I've created a character that's had just as much heartache, has seen just as much action almost, and is just as broken down as he is. She came out of their all-female special forces unit that was originally codenamed Tundra, and they call Jaeger now. Uh, 
yeah. all women units. And uh, she she cashed in her chips. She said, you know, fuck this. I'm tired of doing hearts and minds stuff in Afghanistan. You know, we were told we'd be able to go kick doors and shoot bad guys in the face. And I don't want to do these intel gathering things just with Afghan women. So either you put me in some good ops or I'm out. And they were like, well, you know, blah. And she's like, fuck it, I'm out. And the Norwegian Intel Service scooped her up because there was a, a Mandarin there who said, you know what? You're smart as hell. We can use you because the minute a guy sees a good looking woman, a woman, all the all the blood drains from his head and goes south. <laughs> you're going to make a great spy and you've got experience kicking ass. So she and Harvath end up – he can't trust anybody because there's a $100 million bounty on him. But they cross paths. They have something in common and they find a bond together. And it's fun for me because I got about 60% men, 40% women that read the books. And so I'm excited to give them two spies, two great spies for the price of one. And the, the reviews so far – we just got another one this morning from the Providence Journal. The, review, the reviews have been fantastic. So all the sweat I poured into this, not knowing, did I do it right? Is it good enough? Am I revealing too much of the inner stuff going on in, in this Navy SEAL turned spot? Is that too much? Is that going to turn people off? Is it not enough? And people think it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm really thrilled that the reviewers are saying, God, we thought last summer's book was his best ever. He just topped that one. That's awesome, man. I, I think the inner turmoil is what draws a lot more veterans into it. Mean, with you yeah. telling me, I've been there. I, granted, I wish it was in Key West, so it would have been sunnier when I was drinking <laughs> myself to death. But um, no, that to me is is where you're where, and you're you already have a huge following. But I, I, when I hear that, I'm like, gosh, yeah, that's something I want because you can relate to that. Even that's those bad things you can relate, and you feel even those bad feelings. Sometimes we need to, and as a veteran that that gets those every once in a while. I need to every once in a while, not all the time. You don't want it just to live your life, but you want to feel, gosh, what, what was that feeling when I saw my buddy get blown up? Well, I need to remember that. I need to remember who it is. Um, so I'm glad you put that in there. Never think that it's too much. I, I, I don't want you to think because I was a veteran saying that when we read it, even if it's it can get kind of violent or there may even be some some, you know, you don't want to write, you know, there's suicide is, but it's, it's real. It's, it's out there. Um, it still reminds us. And then it reminds us, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going down that road because this is what happens. And this is what he wrote about. And this is how it affected the family. That could be what happened to my family. And I know I'm going down a rabbit hole, but that's what we do when we read it. And if we feel it and we understand it, even if it's fiction, it sometimes will pop us out of that funk. Like, ah, damn it. No, I'm not going to do that stupid shit. Let me get myself back on my horse and get back at it again. So I appreciate that. I really do. You appreciate you putting it in there as a, as a veteran and somebody that that's fought his demons for a lot of years and has finally got through them. So um, no, never think that you're putting too much. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Thank you. that's where the title comes from. Is that yeah. near You're, dark? He's almost. He's at a Scott Harvath is at a point where if he doesn't absolutely cup his hands around that flickering flame of humanity inside him, if he's not careful, just a whisper of a breath is going to blow it out, and he's either going to go all the way into I, I don't need to draw another breath, or he's going to lose what makes him a human being, and then it's he's going to be going to a very dark place. So near dark was a very appropriate title. And if you look, I begin with a quote from Plato at the very beginning of the book that says, those who love touches not walk in darkness. And it, there's this theme of darkness. And how does he, you know, you know he, I loved an American Sniper where Chris Kyle's back and he's in a bar and Taya calls him and she's like, where the hell are you? 
with your back. And she doesn't get that he needs to compartmentalize. I can't just jump right back into life. I got to decompress. And I read a great review of a translation of the Iliad and the Odyssey. This guy did it and he stripped out any repeated words and used some slang, made it very accessible. And the reviewer said that for warriors going off to war, they should read the Iliad to know what parts of themselves to leave home and not take to the battlefield. And for warriors returning home from the battlefield, they should read the Odyssey so that they know what to leave on the battlefield and not bring home to their families and to to their country. And so all of this stuff, I realized I'd never had Harvath wrestle with all these demons like you were talking about, Chris. And I thought, okay, this is this is going to be a theme here and we're going to watch this and we're going to feel this pain and this inner turmoil. Um, But these are these are things he was good at what he did because he could compartmentalize. He could go down range and, and put it all in a box and focus on what he had to do, but you can't leave it in the box forever. you got to yeah. address this stuff because it festers. It seeps out like acid from the box, and it's going to eat you alive, and you need to purge it somehow. You don't have to ignore it and pretend like it never happened, but you have to face it, and that takes its own kind of courage, right? Yeah. So oh, definitely. No, that's well, that's that's well said. That's outstanding. Well said. Wow. I, I definitely think people are going to connect with that. And and you know what I'm wondering is where do you find the motivation to keep going with this series? Because I would think after this many books, pumping them out once a year, is there a certain mind state you have to get into to write a new Scott Harvath ser- uh, novel and think, where do we go from here? It's Ian, that's a great question. And it's, it's tough, right? So Harvath is kind of a, is kind of a stew of people I know in the special operations community and in the intel community, right? So he's a combination. He's also got part of me in there, as we were talking about, you know, James Bond was part Ian Fleming, and just like Jack Ryan was part of Clancy getting to put himself in there. So listen, I've built a wonderful group of readers. And like I said, those are my bosses. And as long as they want to take a new thrill ride with heart. It's we joke in my in my family that it's like I have an amusement park and every ride is a different ride, but you get to go with Scott Harvath. So every year I'm building a new kind of either it's a roller coaster or it's the thing that takes you straight up and drops you like this. Every year uh, I get to I get to take people on another ride, and I, as the son of the Marine, the son of two entrepreneurs, I take it so seriously where I feel like oh my god, if it doesn't do this much more than last year. Where my fans say, you know what? You don't need to change anything. You come up with these really cool plots, and we love these characters. And my wife explained to me, she said, you live with Harvath all year long, but your readers only get to spend once a year with him. And when they finish the book, they have to wait till next year to get another ride with him. So I get all year to work on this stuff, and that motivates me. I hear I'm very active, particularly on Facebook now, less Twitter because it's just I'm done with Twitter for the most part. But Facebook and these lovely readers show up. I don't get the trolls the way Twitter seems to attract and everything. So Facebook's a neat place to talk about books and talk about my books and other books. Um, And readers want this. And those are my bosses. And so they have afforded me the career that I dreamed about since I was a little boy. So now with the pandemic, uh, I got a little more time on my hands. I've got an idea for a a book that would be separate from Harvath, still in the genre. And I think – all of us are going to want to look back on this time, and I don't know what your story is. Chris hinted at you going after stuff and not saying I quit and everything, Ian. Oh, but yeah. I no, I can talk about it back. briefly, but yeah. 
you're oh. gonna look back and say, "What did I do with this time?" Oh did, no, did no, for sure. Because well, you know, I you guys know what I was doing before, but like from my previous job, I left and I wanted to do a lot more voiceover. Was this the male escorting? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> no, the, the last like, podcast like, you were on and everything. He's got that buffness going on. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. He's out there. Oh, I was wondering, maybe you were going back. You were going to go. That's you, so you, you were stripping, but that was like the pay for college, right? That's... I, I, it's hard. It was, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's, ahead. so, um, yeah, no, I, I quit it. And a lot of people were telling me, you know, you can't just quit a job and not have another job lined up. And I don't know. I just felt uh, I wanted to do more voiceover stuff, but didn't necessarily have a solid plan to do it. And it's a very hard thing to break into. Um, so as Chris knows, in the interim, I was doing um, personal training, got my personal trainer certification, which was great, um, but not a lot of voiceover gigs or anything like that. In November, Chris and I started this podcast, which is going yep. really well. We have these sponsors on board, uh, and it's really making headway. Uh, as soon as the pandemic hit, I'm out of this job, personal training, but all of a sudden, uh I get offered, I'm doing stuff on Fiverr Freelance, and I get offered to be the voice of this new podcast called In the Wilds, owned by Narrative.fm. I'm doing that. I'm doing an audiobook right now. Jim West, who we've had on Special Forces, is like, I want you to do my audiobook, and I'm working on that next week. So, yeah, all this stuff kind of came about, and as you kind of know, it's a process. Yes, I would have liked to have quit that job and right away lined up all this voiceover Mm -hmm. work, started a podcast have it be a massive success, but everything is on God's time. It's not, it's not on your time. And yeah. And within a year, for some reason with this pandemic, I had time to do things I wouldn't have had time to do otherwise. And rather than, you know, sit around watching Netflix, going on Twitter and bitching about everything going on, which is not helping anybody. (laughs) I'm like, let me take some initiative and, and make stuff happen you know i i'm aware of what's going on but just like chris at the same time i don't want to watch video after video of people rioting of things going on in the streets i just it's junk food for your brain at a certain point i i want to know what's going on but i also want to be able to follow what i'm doing the same thing that you're doing with these books if you weren't focused on where scott harvath is going next and you got caught up in everything going on in social media, you're going to put out a substandard book, you know? So, yeah. Just always, always moving forward. And you, you did and you're doing right now, Brad, you're just, you're just, you're, you're continuing to better yourself. And that's as simple as you're just continuing. To, and you get that from your drive, your, from what I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, but from what I take from your upbringing, which is, Hey, Hey, all you youngsters out there, listen to your father, especially if he's in the service. <laughs> All right, do that. <laughs> Amen. Just, just your ability to get out of bed, and what we just we talked about a little bit, and give kudos to her, and and you know because she's helped me as well. Not your wife, my wife. I'm talking about my wife. His wife hasn't but helped you. You, no. you listen. You listen. You listen to your wife. Your wife said, "Hey, hey, dude, get your shit together. You want to basically with someone to get it together. You want to do it? Go get it done." And having a good relationship really keeps you grounded, but it also gives you that confidence and motivation to continue to press on man for your family. But it is sometimes your wife, my wife does it to me all the time and she can't kick my butt because she, she's bigger than me. Um, <laughs> she can't, she can't get your foot in your ass and get your shit together. And, and it sounds like she did that in the beginning and look where you are now. So I, it's amazing. I mean, this, this is a great, been a great episode about motivation and overcoming and you're a tremendous success story. 
And you've also, you know, even though you're utilizing seals in your books, I'll forgive you on that one. You're still <laughs> one of the greatest books ever. No, I, they've been fantastic. And, and like I said, a lot of the guys, yes, I know a lot of the guys that, that you know, and I know you're getting the right stuff because those guys, whether I make fun of them or not, they they walk the walk, they talk the talk, and 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 and, and it, it it's showing and it shows with the, your readers. So, man, I, I I just you brought me back. I got chills thinking about those demons though. Because I, I remember, I, I still vividly remember the demons that get into my head. And we were talking about that. And in the book, that's spot on. Dude, you have no idea. That's just spot on. And it's good for us to read that. So, again, I just I just hope you, I just want you to persevere on that and put stuff in there. Hopefully, though, it doesn't take you down a loop. But it does help us out. Does, and you're, you just reached a guy and saved his life. I guarantee you he read that. A man or a woman, because they're mm-hmm. in the combat lines, too. And said, you know what? I can press on another day. I'm going to fix myself. So that that was that's amazing. I just can't get over that. You, and you helped me today. To be honest with you, Good. I well, smiled I'm, much. I'm, I'm honored, and you you've given me some help as well with what you've said. And uh, it's good to know that you know I took a real leap with this book. I got outside my comfort zone, and the feedback has been excellent uh, from reviewers who are not military folks. But to hear this from you, this kind of hey, it's okay to go there. And uh, this can have a positive impact and everything is a great thing for me to hear because I trusted my instincts on this book. Even though it was uncomfortable, I trusted my instincts, trusted the views and moved forward. So to hear this encourages me to do more of that. So that's that's great. As I sit down, uh, sit down to start writing the next one. That's uh, exactly the message I needed to get today. So thank you, Chris. Perfect. Oh, and throw a ranger in there. Just throw him in there. Even if it's just he passed him in the street at a couple I, of <laughs> the, the greatest thing about taking Harvath into a private group is that I could kind of put together the dream team and I could get some Marsoc people in there and get some rangers in, that's you know, nice. so so that's nice for me because I, I've been listening for years to friends and readers bitch about seal, seal, seals. You got to mix it up. So I was able to bring in some unit guys and some ranger guys, the ranger bats and fifth group and stuff like awesome. that. So- the book, once again, is Near Dark, bradthor.com, at bradthor on Twitter, at realbradthor on Instagram. Always great having you on. And as Chris said, it is cool to see you step outside your comfort zone. And after this many books, going on to 20 books after this, I, I would imagine you're going to have to do that because it's a new story every time and you want to lock in new readers who don't have time to go back and read every book, but they want to pick this right. up right now. They see it on the bookshelves and yeah, and want to get to know this character. Yep, that's that's it. I, mean, I couldn't say it any better myself, Ian. So thank you very much. And Thanks. thank you for having me on and thank you for sharing your audience with me. I, I really enjoy what you guys are doing with the podcast. So congratulations. Keep it up. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you my big watch word right now is patience and kindness. Everybody's stressed out. So all of you listening out there, people are going to make mistakes. People close to you are going to make mistakes. Be patient, be kind. That kindness can only be expected from the strong and patience can only be expected from people who are well-centered and comfortable with themselves. So patience and kindness, two big watchwords as we try to comfort the people around us through this pandemic. It's stressful for everybody. 
Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results every time you pull that trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately-owned businesses in every state, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com, F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Use our exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and this podcast. Stock is going fast, guys, so get on it. It's awesome, dude. Dude, that was that was great, man. Great, great. And it, it, the books, no, he, he's the books are spot on, and he just wait. He's he's perfectly. He's a motivated individual. That's amazing, man. I, I like talking to him. Great yeah, guy. I agree. He's an overall solid guy, and it. I think from over the years of meeting people doing radio, you know, he said to me, he was like, "Thanks, man, every year for doing stuff, you know, for <laughs> promoting the books." And yeah, it's it, to me, I'm like. I, Dude, you're Brad Thor. I, I, of course, I'll have you on any time that you want to come on. I'm I'm just a guy who you know does these podcasts with cool individuals, and of course, I would have him on any time. So it was definitely an honor. Um, and and I like that we got into some very real territory there. That's why I love you know when you see Brad Thor. I think on Fox News or wherever he is, you're just going to hear, "Hey, this is the new book. This is what it's about." As you know, it's like two minute hits. And a lot of people don't know who is Brad Thor. What motivates him to write? How does he get in the mind state to write about uh, this Navy SEAL? And uh, for those listening to this show, hopefully you learned some of that. Uh, and for the guys that are the, the tactical guys out there that that need an excuse to read a fiction book because it may not be tactically accurate, you know, Harry Humphreys is one of the oldest SEALs. And I'm saying this with a term and endearment being old. He is, he is a guy that's been around the block and a plank owner. You know, he originally started one of the SEAL teams over there. Um, he's been around forever. He's been in the spotlight as far as uh, Hollywood and, and so forth. Uh, you know, he was the guy that that was the military consultant. Him and his team were the military consultants on on uh, 13 hours with Michael Bay. He did the rock and all and a bunch of other movies as well. And again, uh, he allowed us to be part of that uh, to part of the tactical team as well. Um, so, you know, that adds credibility to Brad, I think more anything within the community, because guys like that, and then the people he couldn't mention because they're probably still working that sure. I knew. Um, that just means that the books are, are right. You know, there is a fiction as far as the story, but the tactics and the trade craft and all that is correct. So, you know, that's why when you use the term fiction, I, I kind of heard it with a grain of salt because yeah. it's a fictional character, but really everything in there is pretty damn accurate of what's going on if if you're on an op. Um, yeah, but uh, except for the being paired with the Norwegian intel officer, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, yeah, I wish that's never, yeah, that not happened, and, at least not to me. And I do like that he said, yeah, I'm not trying to write a uh, manual here. I'm trying to write a book that's fun. So, yeah, I am going to skip certain things. And, and that makes sense. And he's, he's absolutely doing it right. And yeah, mm-hmm. I just, 
I've never written a book, obviously, and especially something that's like a bigger book like this that you have to do year after year. I just wonder how you get in that mind state and really lock yourself into it. I mean, we've had so many different people on the show, whether it's musicians or authors or special ops veterans, and you do have to, as you say, put that switch on. You know, one of the interesting examples is the interview I did with Frankie from Amur because he, when he started that band, he, was, he admits like he was a very angry guy, a lot of anger inside of him. That anger comes from a very real place. He's a lot more of a positive guy now in his life. He's a lot happier with where he is and trying to undo certain, you know, things that he's damaged himself with over the years. As he talks about, he's no longer into drug culture or any of that stuff. But if you listen to the new album they just put out, it is a fucking angry, hard, aggressive album. And he says, like, yeah, I put myself in a really dark space to be yeah. able to write these albums. I know people don't listen to this band to hear, like, happy music about me talking about rainbows. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I have to go someplace really dark to do this. But for him, I think writing those albums, it's a couple months of a process. But for Brad, he's writing this book throughout the entire year. And I, I just wonder how you do it year after year. I would think for most people, you'd say, all right, I've had enough talking about Scott Harvath. I want to move on to something else. But the people demand Scott, Scott Harvath. And he's uh, got to make it interesting. He, he has a passion for it. You have to have a passion for anything. You can be the best at whatever genre you want to be at, the best at. But if there's no passion for it, there's no passion to accomplish whatever goal, it's not going to be good. It's going to be substandard. It is. I, I so until he loses the passion for writing about Scott and and writing the 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 uh, I don't know what, what series we'd want to call it, um, but writing the near dark type yeah. books, and he's going to continue to be successful and it's continue continue to be good because there's passion, and so, that's with anything. If you want to do anything well, yes, you have to be good at it tactically. You have to have the technical skills. You have to know have some some experience. But if there's no passion behind it, you really don't want to do it. So the passion's not driving you. It's always going to be maybe above average. You're going to get a B. But when you have that passion, that's when it excels. And that's when you become great at something. And, and that's that's that drive that people, I think, forget. They just they practice, 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 school, 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 teach and train and learn everything. But to get to that next level, to get to that professional level, to get to that Michael Jordan levels, yeah, it's got to have a passion for that particular thing. I, I have a passion for teaching teaching firearms. I have a passion. And you're for excellent guns. at it. You really, and I say it because just and I've never taken a course with you. I would have in Maine, but you know, not to get into all that. But even just watching the video, <laughs> I'm able to see that this is where you excel. I I could just tell that the fact that you're teaching people who are handicapped who you never thought you'd be able to teach before, and you're able to just awesome. adapt. And that's that's the passion it comes from of of wanting and learning and then i'm enjoying it and i'm laughing and i think that i you know i think the passion really not really for the farms the passion is for being in that point now where i have the passion to teach where in the past i didn't i was a good teacher but i didn't want to do that i don't want to teach i want to go work send me overseas that's where the passion was uh, and now the passion is to teach and then the passion now is being a good father being a hunt with i love playing with my son and wrestling and and then going and playing catch with my daughter where I didn't get to do that. And, you know, I, I, I think that was a passion issue. And you, we had a um, Debbie on where she, yeah. she mentioned, hey, why you guys don't like the Hurt, hurt Locker? There's a lot of guys out there that because it wasn't tactically well done. The, the, the EOD stuff, but 
The other stuff he gets into, that's not what an EOD guy does. It's not. It's off. It's way off. The contractors are way off. But what she did get right was she showed the passion of wanting to leave your family because your passion is still over in the Middle East. I, I've been, was there for so many years, man. That was spot on. And that passion to be overseas is finally gone, which is good. Now my passion is to be home teaching, teaching the next generation that needs to go over there or whatever they need to do, or just be adept at learning firearms so you don't do something stupid with it. You don't make a bad decision with it. But then the passion also is to be a father now. And, um, you know, I, I, and that's where the success in going to that next level where you are, yeah, you're outstanding at it. That's where it comes from. That's why you're good at the, the voiceovers, dude. You, you, you're great at that. Thank you. And I would see, need to say, see, I, I maybe I'm wrong. I'm not going to put, <laughs> maybe tell me, I think you have a passion for that. And yeah, no, I do. I do. Good Absolutely. No, I, I, I like it. I like being able to kind of make my own schedule. I'm, I'm passionate about that, but you know what I wanted to ask you before I forget is you kind of slipped something in there during the interview that the audience Uh-oh. might be interested in. Does does this mean the Patriots Creed is the last book you're going to write when you said, I don't I, think I'm I, ready unless, to write? Unless Hachette comes and asks me. But you know what? I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm toying with it. Well, I'd like to do one more, but it's not going to be a lot of writing. Well, I remember you um, said a photograph book of your I running. I love to do. Well, you know, I posted that thing on Instagram of that of those pictures recently of, I was in a, a little bird and we were flying around doing a, a, a collection of an area before we had to drive in there. And it's beautiful of the old Kadamiya mosque, which is in Baghdad. It's, it, yeah, it's a shrine. And, um, you know, I have pictures, tons of pictures of, of just places I've been and then running throughout the United States of how beautiful the world is. And I would love to do something like that, showing how gorgeous every place has, every place has a spot that's just beautiful whether it's Rapid City, South Dakota, or Kandahar, Afghanistan. And it'd be a positive book, but it'd be just a photo book, a beautiful photo book. Because I used to love looking at those on my parents' account when I was little. I just open it and see the amazing pictures of of nature and splendor and, and architecture. And yeah. Don't get to see. And I wanted to call it, yeah, um, to, bag, to Benghazi and back. Well, so basically, and, and pictures especially- all the way and then... No, I was just especially now with they're able to print stuff to look really just amazing that when you open up these coffee table books, yeah, like I have, yeah, exactly. I have two at my house. I have one of uh, national parks, and then I have one for Metallica's um, uh, Master of Puppets, and it has pictures of when they were on that tour. It's documenting the whole Master of Puppets tour. So two totally different things, but it's an experience when you open up that those book. Yeah those books and you see a comment on each like hey this is when we yep. played rapid city iowa or something that's you know exactly. yeah that and that's that's what i i that was was what i've always wanted to do and just finish it up with that and if anybody from hashed is out there listening right now <laughs> from the publishing department or three arts three arts entertainment richard abate has been my book guy forever he's awesome i love him um if you guys are out there listening yeah let's do that let's get that one done because that one is would be more fun because it's not a lot of research. It sounds like Brad loves doing the research yeah. on guys. Oh, I felt like I was back in college. Like, I hate this. This sucks. So it can be and just put the pictures and it brings back my memories. And then I can write down this is where we were at. This is the feelings because I've been finding and I did this on Instagram testing the water when I do those pictures and I put the feelings in of where I was and what I was doing what it felt like with the smells I had 
people really respond to that. When I read things that are like that, I respond to it too, because it brings back a memory or a smell of something I may have been through. And it, it's positive, man. It's beautiful. It's like, God, you know what? That guy really isn't a shithole like people think it is. Yeah. It really is. I, I think it's just gorgeous. I think there's even, you know, cobble. Yeah, it sucks in places. Yes, there's open sewers, but damn, look at these art. Look at this beautiful. How did they do this not having the infrastructure that we had, not having the the natural assets that we have? Not, I mean, you don't see a lot of woods over in some of these countries and everything's made out of stone and sand and they can make the most beautiful, beautiful buildings. Uh, brother, I tell you what, this amazing, the scaffolding and then also the the the, the uh, interior wood guts that they use in some of these buildings, it's pieces of logs, that trees that they just stood up. And you're like, how in the world are they building? It's not two by fours. It's nothing like that. It's like a tree that they've shimmied off all the bark and here's your, here's your, here's your wall framing system. Like, wow. Holy shit, how is this thing still standing? But that's so amazing to me. Yeah, that, that goes back to what Brad said about that us traveling makes us better Americans, seeing all these different countries. And I, my travel is uh, pretty limited, but I, you know, I've gone to several different countries and I could tell you, like, you know, seeing Israel on TV, for example, is nothing compared to going to Israel, being there on the ground and thinking to yourself, like, this is where everything took place in the Bible. This is where Jesus walked. This is, and, and you really do feel you're in the presence of God going there. And yeah, I I do think more people need to be able to see different parts of the world rather than taking from the news. A lot of the times actually kind of goes to what you say when people talk about the Middle East who have never been there. Oh, well, it's a shithole. The entire place is a shithole. Well, Iran is nothing like Israel is nothing like Iraq is nothing like Afghanistan. Yeah, it, it isn't. And even parts of Iraq, northern Iraq or Kurdistan is nothing like southern Iraq, which is which is the demarcation line south of Kirkuk, because there is it's more it, they've actually have parks there. Actually, I'll do another post on Instagram in, in the hook where there's an amusement park that they tried to copy Disneyland. It, wow. but it, but it, it's so surreal, <laughs> but it's so cool because you're like, oh, my gosh, is that supposed to be Mickey Mouse? This is freaking awesome. Because you don't think those things are there. You don't, you think on the news, all you're seeing is bombs over Baghdad yeah. and all this other bull. Or, yeah, or Saddam gassing the Kurds in, um, uh, and I can't remember the town I know because we've searched there. They actually have a shrine for it because we, we can go there in Kurdistan. But you don't think, yeah, there's amusement parks up in the mountain. There's a city that is in north of Erbil that's built in a river, in a drainage river, like a, like it's a, it's a little wadi that comes through, but it's full with water and it's continually run like a waterfall. And the city is actually in it. So you go sit in a restaurant in the waterfall. So when you go in, your feet are going to get wet. You're sitting at tables where water is running under your tables, but that's just how it is. They built it right like that. Who would think of that? But that's what it is. And they don't, it's amazing. And it's, it's gorgeous. I, again, I'll, I'll probably post that picture. I got that. And I was looking at going, wait a second, is it flooding here? No, they actually, the restaurant is actually built in the base of the waterfall and you're sitting in the puddle, in the, in the, the puddles of water. Yeah, it, it, but it, but it worked. It was, it's just gorgeous. So, and I, I agree, man, you got to get out there and see, and you got to see everything. And then, but there is that appreciativeness when you come back in the United States, you come back and you get off the plane and you're like, man, Oh my gosh! Yeah, a cup of coffee, feet are dry. Nobody's shooting at me. Um, well, it used to be too that yeah, I don't have to wear a mat. Nah, yeah, <laughs> <didn't> do <that. laughs> 
you know, but that's that's the that's that's where you know you do get off and you just feel this. You you, know, you do feel safe. You get in the United States and you feel relatively safe where you're out. And you you can kind of feel that the chaos is always there, yeah. especially in some of the Middle Eastern countries where it is dangerous, where you don't always have to be looking over your shoulder. Uh, even when you get acclimated to the area, you're still doing this, sitting in the coffee shop because you just don't know what's going to happen. We're in the United States for the most part. Yeah, I know there's bad areas here. I, I live and work in some of these bad areas here. I used to all the time. But for the most part, you get off the, in the United States, you're like, I can, I, you know, I can kind of relax. Let's go get a Starbucks. <laughs> and and, you know, and uh, I should even say beyond the international travel, it, it, it kind of sucks to me when you see people who have never left their hometown because there's so much great stuff in yeah. this country as well. You know, when I, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but beyond traveling to Florida and things like that. I remember when I went to South Dakota, mainly to see Dawkins' last uh, last show of the original lineup. Well, yeah, it was it was uh, there. The show was in Sioux Falls, and it was at this place called Badlands, not not Badlands National Park, but Badlands the Arena, which was as South Dakota as it gets because it was a venue, a radio station, a shooting range, a gun store. I think they had like a pawn shop in there. and that's yeah, a podcast. I've been, I've been there. Man. Yeah, it's no longer crazy. there. It's no longer there. But uh, when I used to do flood claims, that Sioux Falls would flood all the time. When I used to do flood insurance adjusting and flooding in that area, no, I uh, the Red River would flood, and that whole area would just flood the downtown area and then outside. So yeah, I actually I want to say even they handled the flood claim at that place at that at that particular building. That was I, a cool place. I go to do. That was such a cool, but yeah, when I went there, you know, the typical thing you hear from New Yorkers is like, oh, what the hell is there to do in South Dakota? And trust me, South Dakota was awesome. When I went to Badlands National Park, like it is incredible. And I really wish more people would experience that because people, uh, this might contradict what I said about the international travel thing, but I think a lot of people in America go, oh, I got to go to Europe or even, you know, I got to go to another major city. If you're in some small town, I got to go to New York City or California. You know what? Take a trip to uh, South Dakota and or or certain parts of Colorado that I've been to. And you'll be like, wow, this is beautiful. This is nature. Yeah, I you, to- you have people no idea that everything that you can see in the world, you can see within the United States. That's why this country is so great. We have so many different terrain features there's so much different types of topography here in the United States, whether it's the plains, the Rocky Mountains, go to Mark Twain National Forest in Missouri, go check out the Big South Fork River River uh, River um, uh, National Park in Tennessee, the Rolling Hills. I mean, everything. And that's where the book would come. I mean, I I go running in all these places just to see what it. That's how you experience it. And I'll take a picture of just an area and. Rapid City, beautiful. Running and just get a picture. Gillette, Wyoming. Who goes to Gillette, Wyoming? Well, I did a speaking event there and I went running and out in the running, there's this rolling field and out in the middle of it, just a ton of antelope. Take a shot. It's just beautiful. And, you know, not saying that you have to go to Gillette, Wyoming, but you probably should, though. You know, why not? Yeah. And there is they have their own little downtown areas. Every little town still has its own Americana type areas. It's still there. It's so beautiful. Um, I think we're losing a little bit of that, which is sad. I don't want to see that because. That's what makes this country great. The I agree. The grain silos. The, and you know, like Colorado, down the western slope in Grand Junction, go to Grand Junction, stand in the middle of Grand Junction, 
You've got Redlands on one side. You've got the National Monument, which is the biggest mesa in the world on the other side. You've got these places called the Book Cliffs on the other side, which is basically mountains that look like stacks of books. And and that's Grand Junction, Colorado. Western, I grew up there. I like I look back at it now going, man, I was lucky to live and grow up in Grand Junction for part of my life because I look around like, man, it is gorgeous here. In which you live here, you kind of take it for granted. You do. You do. Yeah, oh, definitely. Last year when I quit the job, which I was talking about earlier, I lined it up so that right when I quit my job, I went with my friends to Sedona, uh, Arizona, and it was like, it was an awesome feeling too, man, because I know that society puts that pressure on you if you quit a job, especially, you know, my parents, oh, you didn't line anything up, you're, you know, quitting this, what the hell are you doing? And I decided I am not going to feel that pressure i'm going to take a few months to myself to just unwind go to sedona not think about any of this and i don't know i've just had this feeling deep down inside that it is all going to work out and it is all working out man and i'm very thankful for it i i put in a lot of hard work over the years to get to that point and obviously you don't get cocky about it because god puts you in these certain positions and god makes things happen on his time i think when you're doing the right thing. And this felt yeah. like the right move for me for a while. And yeah, I mean, you know what I could tell you was awesome. Looking up at the stars in Sedona, we went to uh, the national parks there late at night and you feel like you're in a planetarium. Yeah. You, it, it is the most incredible thing. You don't hear anything. And yeah. yeah, we are so disconnected from earth and we say it, I feel like every show, but it's because people wake up in the morning they got to, they get on their cell phone. They got to see what are we outraged about on Instagram and Twitter. And like, yeah, they haven't even taken the time to look at the birds outside and the trees out there. And I don't care if this sounds hippie-ish or anything, but like that's, that is the beauty of life, man. Life is a gift. That's a that's spot on. If hippie-ish enough, if you, say, if you think it sounds hippie-ish, kiss my ass. Go do it. <laughs> Stop looking at your stupid phone. Get off Twitter. I don't even have Twitter anymore. Facebook. I have Jeremy Mitchell, my buddy, he posts on it. I'll post stuff from Instagram over. Maybe every four days I'll do something because I don't want to be on it. I'm off it. Get off it. If When all this finally dies and there's no more Tonto out there, you'll have no more social media for me. This is You kind of have to have it as a business point here. Exactly. Even for that, exactly. I'm off it. People are telling me, like, why aren't you pushing more of your stuff? Why don't you do more ads? Because I want to go play catch with my daughter. Because I want to <laughs> look outside my window here. If you can see it. Oh, you can't see it. Dang a it. little bit, yeah. And, and look at the trees. And, and look just outside my door where all the birds are. I want to go stand outside, lay on my deck, and see the bar- butterflies flying in the flying all the trees after I go for a run. That's why I turn that stupid thing off because you don't need to live by that. And with this thing, this thing leads to nothing but panic. It leads to nothing but fear. It leads to nothing but lo- nothing but going down that rabbit hole. Especially if you're a veteran. You and I kind of talked about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, texting. Where it does, because it, it can be like crack. It's a drug. It's addicting. And that's why I always challenge people. Put that thing down for a week. I bet you can't do it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree, man. And, and I think uh, we've talked about it, man. All these people want to be an influencer. And, <laughs> you know, they want their entire life documented like it's the Truman Show. And, you know, we both talk about some pretty personal stuff sometimes on this podcast. But there's also stuff that I'm not going to talk about here. here. Uh, some stuff probably is private for you and for me, and and uh, it doesn't so. need to be publicly consumed, and I don't need to post about it. And you know, I, I kind of hate it when I see people posting, "I'm in a really bad mind state. I'm depressed." Uh, it's probably not the place to do it. I, I would probably get off, talk to my family, talk to friends, get out in nature. Don't 
you know, I don't want to tell people that because they're in a bad mind state. But when they're posting, yeah, I'm, I'm in a really bad place right now. This probably can put you in a worse place. Get off or the phone, this, dude. Or this is the damn cause of it. So there, there you go. <laughs> put it down and or turn it off for a little bit. Um, and post something every few days. You know, if you want to get on it. Like I said set a time. Then, then have some discipline and say, I'm only going to get on it every Thursday, or I'm going to go set a goal for that and stick to that. And you'll find yourself that you don't need it, and that you're but you're doing your little thing every once in a while. I. I I, I do love uh, Audacious Andy. Give her a shout out because she's one of our biggest supporters. She's she's on it quite a bit. But I do like now that she's changed from a lot of the posts to she's showing videos of her getting more active, exercise. Oh, Audacious Andy, yeah. And to me, yeah, of course, you know, do that every once in a while. Help motivate somebody else to get out there and get healthier. And she's doing but, great. She lost a ton of weight. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's great. But again, that's where you, you have to monitor. Do it every once in a while. But if you're going to post something, post something like that. Or a memory, or but not just man. I'm just just terrible. I, I I'm awful. This is all, well, you know, get off that thing then, and actually get with somebody that that you can talk to offline in private, and especially if you have a family. Get with your family. Yeah. Talk to them first. Yeah. So I, I agree with you, and I'm in complete agreement, totally, hundred percent. And Rapid City, we give keep giving it props. One of the most beautiful, beautiful places in the world. Mount Rushmore. And then they also have a haunted hotel downtown. That's the best chocolate shop in the country, downtown Rapid City. So you go there, stay in there, and ask to stay in the haunted room. I did, but I didn't see any ghosts. So. <laughs> That's crazy. Man. And, and especially now, you know, if people have more time on their hands, we talk about it, catch the sunrise, catch the sunset. No matter where you live, there's going to be a good place to watch that. And, uh, and you know what? Do it without your phone <laughs> and just do something completely in solitude. Yeah. And, and I think you will be in a better mind state. And uh, yeah, that's all I have to say, man. Ra- wrapping things up here. Uh, once again, Fort Scott Munitions is one of our great sponsors. They're a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you're going to receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as directly online through fortscottmunitions.com. Use exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical and the Battleline Podcast. And as we always say, uh, you know, whether you're supporting them or picking up a shirt, that's what keeps us going. We're not on Patreon or any of that stuff. This is what, you know, we keep it free for you guys. And thanks to Brad Thor, pick up Near Dark. I think you guys could hear the passion he has for doing what he loves. And I don't care what you're doing, whether it's someone we have on that makes music or is a professional athlete. I love learning and hearing from people who have a passion for what they do. You're going to get something out of that. And it's going to, you know, I don't have the desire to write a book, but Brad's passion for writing books is going to drive me to be more passionate about what I have going on in my life. You know, I, there's just such a difference. You could tell in the vibe of someone you talk to who's just yeah. out there 
they don't know what they're doing with their life. They're not, you know, motivated. They're just going with the motions day in and day out. And someone who has this purpose and passion of, yeah, the way he said, my readers are my boss. He wants to please them and give them something that's going to give them entertainment and hopefully some positivity in their life. I love hearing that. Uh, find your passion. That's the easiest way to find what you're, what you want to do. And it may take several tries. So end, like I said, he went to Sedona to figure it out. You can, it's okay to take a break to figure that out or try multiple things until you find that passion. But once you find it, you'll know it and you're going to be successful. But um, yeah, just don't get stuck in a rut. And, and as long as you don't get stuck in a rut and you have faith, you're going to find it. You will eventually. And it's going to be because God works in mysterious ways. When you least expect it, that's when it happens. Just prepare yourself like Ian did <laughs> and like myself. Prepare yourself so when it comes, you have the skill set to capitalize on it. And that's where all the practice and learning and schooling and everything else, that's where that comes in. So when you do find it, you're ready to go. And this time with this COVID stuff has given us that opportunity to get prepared for whatever we need to that comes next. So you're ready when that when that starting gate opens and you find what you want. You have the skill set to capitalize on it and get better and become exceptional at it, which, of course, Brad is. <laughs> and Ian is at what he does. And I'm still working on mine. <laughs> no, and you definitely mentioned. are, man. Absolutely. There's that's there's yeah. a reason people are still interested in reading the Patriots Creed and hopefully the next thing that you have out. So, yeah, uh, with that, um, last thing I was going to mention is next episode is going to be guest free. So if you have any questions for us, questions, yeah, yeah battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. We'll answer whatever as long as it's, you know, a shorter question, but hopefully not all political. We kind of like to just do some like motivational, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, I know we get the political questions and we'll I, answer them. I would them, love but... some questions about, I'd love to get into bands and sports, man. If people want to do that, like, hey, get into groups and sports. I and... love all that. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I know we got to get out of here, but you know what I've been yeah. entertained by real quick is, uh, I, you probably haven't seen it because you're not on Twitter, and it's one of this is one of the few things that I thought was just at least in, you know entertaining me <laughs> is Sebastian Bach from Skid Row and Chris Jericho are in a whole Twitter feud uh, that they start, <laughs> and it's it's been pretty funny, man, because uh, Sebastian Bach is saying, "Oh, you're lip syncing live performances. You don't even sing live because he's in his band Fozzy. and uh, and Chris Jericho saying to him. Uh, well, you haven't even had a hit in 30 years. Uh, you know, he's like, I, you're a great singer, but I, I'm better than you. I'll, I'll challenge you to a sing off. <laughs> I know. Right. I'm like, you know, and it, it is funny for you to hear him say you haven't had a hit in 30 years because look, Chris Jericho, great at what he does, but Skid Row had massive hits. Most people cannot name one Fozzie song. Just saying, you know. Just saying, and Sebastian Bach, uh, I think, has been on Broadway a couple times. Yeah. I, I think you have to have a pretty good voice to to to, sit, to sing operatic stuff and, and then sing in Broadway. So I'll put my money on Sebastian Bach. Sorry, Chris. You can body slam him all you want, but he's got you on the singing, dude. I agree, man. And you know what? It's I've I've been following it just because it's nice to see. Look, I know the two guys are in some it's feud, entertainment, and, dude. but it's, it's it's nice to have some entertainment that's not about you know what. And you yeah, know who Lord. I'd much rather hear about, you know, Me this too. stuff. Because it's fun. If they really do have a sing-off, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. That's pay-per-view right there, man. They're going to make millions. <laughs> millions. Yeah. No, I, I feel you, man. So I agree. I'd rather listen to that. I don't know. Politics be damned. You guys can 
uh, I, I am so much happier not paying attention to any of that shit. It's unbelievable how how great your life is when you pull yourself out of all that left right crap. He's falling out. Just no, let it go, dude. Well, it's, just, it's been a theme among out. a lot of our recent guests that they're not on social media as much. Guess what? They're all successful. They're all following their passion. And right. they'll tell you it was a distraction. Imagine that. Shocker. Hashtag <laughs> shocker. Imagine that, guys. So, well, take it for what it's worth. All right. You guys figure it out. It's your past. Find your passion. And, man, yeah, we'll see you, see you next week. Yeah, Ian, I'm sorry. I'm keeping you, man. Sorry about oh, that. I'm, I'm rambling about Sebastian Bach and Chris Jericho <laughs> keeping you. So. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battle Line Podcast and on Twitter at Battle Line Pod. To sign up for future Battle Line tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit. <laughs>